Hello, and welcome to series two of the Figuring Things Out podcast. I'm your host, Will Brown. Thank you so much for listening today. Our second series explores the process of recovery, in which we speak to five guests from various fields in order to uncover the truths and personal experiences behind injury, motivation, and mental health recovery. We have exciting news. We've started a Patreon. This podcast is a self-funded project. So if you like what we do, please think about sharing it with your friends and even supporting us on Patreon for the price of a coffee. In doing so, you'll gain bonus content and conversations from us. You'll have creative inputs into the future series and the guests, for example, asking questions for the next series, uh, requesting guests, etc. And also our eternal love and gratitude. <laughs> anyway, for now, on to today's guest. Enjoy. So here we go, episode five of season two. I'm very lucky to have Samantha Emmanuel. She is a mother, a recent mature student, a Pilates teacher. She does holistic movement therapy, and she previously was very engaged with tribal fusion belly dance. Sam, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, dude. It's so really nice. we, we met... Uh, about two years ago, I believe, at a fighting monkey kind of private workshop. And yeah. you struck me as someone who was incredibly motivated and direct, quite mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> one of the first things we spoke about was this mental uh, experience you had where like a, a set or a wall fell on you and basically crushed you and four of your students. Correct. (laughs) It's really hard to forget. uh, I thought, okay, I'm doing this podcast on the process of recovery and and big injury recovery. And and, and your studies are very much in that field, both from a personal practice point of view and also with your work. So you're the perfect person for this conversation. So thank you so much for joining me. That's a pleasure. Um, Do you want to give the listeners a little bit more about you and and what's currently going on? Because it's, it's pretty mad um so about like my history well we go back to the early when I my early 20s I'm 43 now so more than 20 years ago um I kind of fell into belly dance tribal fusion style specifically fell in very deeply and ended up in San Francisco training and auditioned for the only world touring belly dance company in the world and then toured around with them for a few years and then left the company because, you know, I was in a relationship and to be in a relationship and be away touring all the time just is really difficult. So I quit and went my own way and was teaching workshops and traveling a lot and performing all over the place, like 40 something countries. And then I had a baby and well, before that we moved to France, but I was still touring. We had a baby she was two years old when a wall fell on me and my students uh, during a Pilates class I was teaching and crushed my pelvis. So the injuries would have been like a side impact in a car accident. Mm. And when I arrived at the hospital, they were like, they'd been told that a cupboard had fallen on us. So they were like, what's the big deal? And because the morphine had kicked in, I was like, oh yeah, maybe we're fine. Mm. <laughs> and to the point where I, I got my partner to leave my wallet and my mobile phone so that I could just get a taxi home because the morphine was really working. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm probably 
all right. And then they x-rayed and they were like, yeah, you're not going anywhere. Your pelvis is crushed. Um, that was not a cupboard. That was something that weighed 900 kilos, it turned out. Wow. Um, and so I spent a year in rehab and I was just getting back into performing when COVID hit also. So then it was like, okay, no, no, no. Um, luckily before COVID hit, where I did my rehab, I'm kind of skimming over this, obviously, mm -hmm. um, is where I ended up working because I chose at random this physio clinic because he was a Pilates teacher as well. And so was I, so I was like, oh, maybe we can, I don't know, talk about stuff. So I chose there and I ended up teaching some of his Pilates classes just because he had too much on and too many clients. And then bit by bit, he started, well, we collaboratively worked with the odd patient here and there. And we saw that it worked really well. So he just started giving me all his neurological patients, like the long-term treatment cases. And I used my dance experience in that rehab setting. So when COVID hit, I could keep working there because we were essential workers. So it wasn't like the rest of my dance friends where everything just stopped there was no work like so I carried on teaching online dance wise but really focused on the work with the patients wow. um and then I mean I guess that's how I led to what I'm doing now today at Trinity Laban Conservatoire I'm doing dance science masters because I realized that I don't have enough of the evidence-based knowledge behind why what I do in clinic works so well and because I am just a dancer, in quotation marks, I can't approach a neurologist and talk to him directly or her um, and, and explain what I've been doing and the effect that it's been having. So the feedback I've been getting from patients is they go and see their neurologist and they're like, what have you been doing? Because we didn't expect this improvement at all. These people have been told it's not going to get any better. It's going to stay the same deal with it live with it and that like language exactly <laughs> to that point and we and I realized like we're, we're smashing these narratives and changing lives for the better and, and changing stories but I can't take it any further mm. especially in France because if you don't have a diploma for the thing that you do you can't do the thing wow. so um this is why I've, I've gone into Laban I applied thinking there's no way I'm going to get in because I've never been to uni. I left school very like GCSEs. I was gone. Mm. I was off traveling and road protesting and then went into construction and laboring mm. building sites and all that. So I've come in like as a self-taught dancer. The only diplomas I have are Pilates diplomas, fully assuming they're not going to let me in. <laughs> and they did let me in based off my 20 something years of experience. And um, voila, that's how I'm back in London. Mm, that that definitely gives me hope. I think the <laughs> 20 years experience speaks for something. And yeah. even though you're now, I guess, kind of jumping through hoops to, to get to the angle that you're seeking to give, I guess, data-driven proof mm -hmm. that your work is, is, is really working. Mm -hmm. um, it's lovely to know that institutions can, can value anecdotal experience and, and personal practice and, and and see the value there absolutely um, i found an amazing quote on your website that links quite well into what you just said about uh, your history which uh -huh. is hod carrier finds her tribal feet <laughs> which is so lovely um 
it made me giggle because my dad's a builder so I think uh it yeah. speaks very much can you can you try and link that really quickly so you were you were a hod carrier you were basically construction building site laborer almost yeah so Sounds I met my partner, uh when I was 18 19 we got together so we've been together a long time and I've been self-employed since I was 19 my first business was making baskets from making baskets, I went into kind of woodland forestry management with my partner. And then we would do hedge laying and we lived in trucks and caravans. So we would travel around the UK and Scotland um, doing hedge laying and log cabin making. And then that kind of went into timber framing. And then my partner went very much towards the timber framing and I went towards the laboring on building sites just because that there was a lot of work in that field because we lived in Devon on Dartmoor where everyone was converting old farmhouses so and then my friends were laboring so I started laboring too I was the only girl on site which you know was a challenge in itself um and during that time when I was working in construction I started taking belly dance classes for fun with some friends but then I got really into it mm. and then I had to decide which one I was going to stick with because doing the two didn't like I had these huge traps from pulling like buckets of muck like up scaffolding ropes and like <laughs> carrying roof tiles that like, I was big and it didn't really fit well with the aesthetic of of a belly dancer <laughs> yeah. so you know physically I was just like wow, I think I'm gonna have to choose and I chose the belly dance it coincided with us moving to Canada for three years my partner did timber framing um out there and I used it as a base to travel to San Francisco wow learn because that's where the tribal fusion style kind of originates and came together so I studied with the creators of the style there and then ended up in the belly dance superstars um and yeah left my construction roots behind really but it was quite funny because I went from only ever having worked with guys on building sites to suddenly finding myself on a tour bus with 20 belly dancers from like LA <laughs> and like figuring out that dynamic of, of working in a, in a group of women compared to guys that, yeah, I learned a lot. In How was that? How was the difference? Uh, I mean, even at school, I always preferred hanging out with the guys because I always knew where I was. Like mm. if they didn't like you, they would tell you. <laughs> but with the girls, I don't know. You never really knew. And there was a conflict and it was different. It, yeah. Wow. But I carried through the work ethic, I think, from, from the laboring and just get it done, um, mm. which I think, yeah, has, has helped me in times of challenge, which would be times of injury and just like get it, get it done. Yeah. So the, the belly dancing world, how does it work? Were you competing or were you performing mostly? No, I never competed. There is a, there is a lot of that. There's a huge side to that. Um, I was asked to judge for competitions, but I didn't like it. I, I don't like that element. I don't think it's very healthy, especially in that scene. Um, I saw some very talented dancers quit because they didn't win. And um, so I, I refused. If it was in the contract, I, I wouldn't do it. Hmm. Um, but I only performed, like we performed uh, with a troupe and casinos and theatres all over, all over the place. Went to Japan five or six times, China. Um, yeah, all over the place. 
What are your thoughts on competition now? I mean, I've never done hip hop or street, so I can see like the value in people doing battles and they're amazing to watch, but I don't know if it's my cup of tea. I don't know if I would ever want to jump into a battle. I'm sure you learn a lot, um, but yeah, it's that element of competition. It doesn't sit right with me. I've, I really go around in circles. I, I went, yeah. my whole childhood was hugely competitive. I was so driven by competition and love, love, loved it because mm. it brought out this really uh, driven side of me, let's say. Mm. Um, I was mainly doing team sports like football or soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I got into my 20s and I started to go on this more movement-oriented approach and it was more of an open, let's say, decontextualized practice. Mm. Mm-hmm. I started to look a bit more down the areas of collaborative practices like partner acrobatics or um, contact improv and then went really kind of left and, and went away from competition completely and thought oh it's it's the devil it brings out the worst in me it brings up my ego etc etc but now I've kind of gone again full circle mm-hmm. and, and see it almost as a tool as everything else I think it could be if it's healthy for sure yeah I mean, we've all got a certain amount of ego, right, to do to do everything that we do. Um, but it's whether it's whether it's it's healthy or like the dancers that I saw who quit, who had so much potential. So it's it's a balance, I guess, like everything, like parenting, mm. like life. How do you how do you foster healthy competition in your kids? Hmm. Well, my youngest is only two um so I don't know about her yet (laughs) my eldest is seven and if she loses chess she throws the board across the room so I'd say (laughs) she doesn't lose very (laughs) she doesn't take to losing very well um I don't know because I know like around especially around East London I've heard that sports day um nobody wins anymore like it's it's you just get everyone gets a trophy for taking part or, or whatever and I'm not, I'm not sure how I feel about that yet. I haven't experienced that yet because we've just moved here. Um, but I think there's got to be something that drives the child to, to want to put the work in, the effort in and, and succeed. But then there's that whole like punished by rewards system of thinking. And I'm reading a lot about the flow at the moment in positive psychology. And there's like other ways that we can encourage our children and ourselves to 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 work and to create and to be productive hey sorry to interrupt a quick note this podcast is currently a self-funded project and we don't have any ad sponsors and we don't really want to spam everyone with all of this stuff however it really helps us if we have some support so if you're enjoying these conversations and would like to get involved please feel free to buy us a coffee via patreon and become one of our loved patroons. You can also share it with your friends as this really helps us grow. If you'd like coaching, courses, and event offers, please visit our website, figuringthingsout.com. For now, back to the podcast. A question I was going to wait to ask you, but I feel like it may be a good time, is this balance between hustle culture and cotton wool culture. Mm. And I really feel like for me, this giving a medal to everyone that participates completely misses the point of <laughs> what's going on. It, it, it almost hinders everything and brings everything to this kind of 
I don't want to say it's like communism, but it's almost like a communist kind of orientation where everyone's the average, no one's different, everyone's the same. Mm -hmm. uh, no one has any unique quality or individual flair. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone becomes this kind of grey. Yeah. And I think it's so sad and so yeah. ultimately negative. Yeah. It happened, actually, there is a story last year, um, Delphine was six, she did a year of um, figure, figure ice skating and they did a competition at the end of the year where they had a choreography they had to learn and then they did the choreography with these like tiny little ice skaters on the ice, it was really cute. But then they all got a medal and Delphine, like she had made a load of mistakes and she was last. Um, so there was like some grading going on, but she was too young. She didn't really understand. She was called out onto the ice first. So she thought she was first and she had won. Um, but actually she had come in last because she'd made loads of mistakes because she hadn't practiced. Because she was like, oh, I don't need to practice. I'm, I'm good enough. Mm. Which has kind of been her attitude about dance as well. Like I can't show her any moves because she's like, no, I already know. Like, I don't need you to show me. And the fact that she thought she had won and was all proud with her medal, I didn't have the heart to tell her, no, mate, you, you came in last and you should have practiced. I just didn't, I didn't say anything. Yeah. But then it's like, okay, I haven't done her a favor there because she didn't put the work in. But then I was like, how much does it matter at this age? Maybe when she's older, she'll understand. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm new to this. Parenting. It must be so hard as a mother or yeah. any, any parent to have a young child be confused by the systems that, are, that they're kind of engaging with. Yeah, I, I really, detest is the wrong word, but I, I really dislike the, this type of kind of like overly positive psychology driven mm -hmm. system where it's like everyone's amazing and you did so well no matter what happened because it, it 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 doesn't take into account effort like you were saying or practice or mm -hmm. uh, skill or quality or differential between someone who's great at maths compared to someone who's great at biology or being physically engaged in in, in an intricate sport um, it's that balance again isn't it like how much do we prepare them for life yeah in life you, there's going to be hard days and you're going to lose at things or you're not you know and we do have to put the work in. Um, but for me, I guess it's like, at what age, what age does that need to start? That's a great point. It's a great I point. I think from our, both of our practice in, in more of this decontextualized movement sphere, mm. we've seen the other side, I guess, of, of not having grading criteria can be quite freeing and quite, quite useful. Yeah. But on the flip side, it's also great to to somehow measure and grade effort. Yeah. We need those feedback loops to then progress even further. Otherwise, okay. we get stuck in just this kind of like early stage uh, Mount Stupid in the, in the Dunning-Kruger type idea. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm amazing. Mm. Until I've got a feedback mm. and then I'm like, oh, I've got some work to do. Mm. And then you have that long-term practice perspective that drive is driven by uh, feedback and, and dopamine loops and voila, yeah and you got yeah. plasticity as well so if you put it into the rehab context when I'm working with people in stroke recovery if I'm using say FM coordinations I will start with a simple coordination they will get it and then I will change it and make it harder and then they will get cross and I'll be happy that they're cross <laughs> because that little window of frustration is where the plasticity in the brain like the doors open 
So it's not, it's finding that balance between too much frustration and them giving up or just enough that you keep pushing yeah. and they stay engaged and then they get it and, and, and then they feel the results as time goes on and, you know, the positive feedback from the neurologists, you know, that like, oh, we never thought you would be able to use your right arm like that again. Um, so we can see like the, the results are there except I can't back it up with data yet because I haven't done the masters, but I'll get there. Yes, yet, yet. Uh, <laughs> let's go back a step. What is FM coordinations? So fighting monkey coordinations come from Joseph and Linda, who are the creators of fighting monkey. They're, they're basically sequences of movement, very dynamic and very fast. And the first time I did FM, I threw myself right into a week-long intensive in Denmark. And I had never, I'd only ever seen a little bit online. I found them when I was in recovery from the accident. Um, because when I was in recovery, I had a year of not being able to work. And I threw myself into searching online for other ways to move. Because I had some tools from my dance and my Pilates, but I, I realized it wasn't enough. I, wanted, I needed more. I needed to diversify um in order to recover and I did recover extremely quickly from the injuries like everyone was surprised and I knew why because I had put the work into researching different avenues and through that I found Fighting Monkey and Denmark was mind-blowing and really challenging and the biggest thing I learned there was embrace the struggle and just throw yourself in because if you kind of take a step back and think like oh no I can't oh it's too fast and and give up and sit out then it's just pointless being there so with them I really learned like embrace the struggle throw yourself in even if you can't get it just keep trying and eventually it will come and it starts to click and you're like, ah, oh, now I'm getting it but it really takes embracing the really difficult feeling like you're floundering which is how I feel doing this master's as well to, <laughs> by the way because I've never done academic reading or research I have to learn the whole APA writing I have to learn everything from scratch right now yeah. um yeah so FM coordinations are move, movement sequences and they can be regressed progressed really beautifully I think they're they're very dynamic they're everything all the joints are communicating well and it translates really well into rehab settings yeah if you've got stroke you've got a blockage and coordinations are a beautiful way to try and reconnect those pathways in the brain through through movement. Yeah, yeah. For me, they're they're really lovely forms of like decontextualized dance. We keep using mm -hmm. this word decontextualized, but mm -hmm. I think it's quite relevant here. Yeah, I love what Fighting Monkey do is they they bring or let's say they gamify as much as possible from as many sports as possible. Decontextualize them into yep. open format movement challenges and, and scenarios mm -hmm. um, and then keep changing the games to keep people just on that level of salivation and frustration let's say <laughs> which is which is amazing and then the duo themselves I think you'll agree they're amazing Joseph is this philosophical nerd who's an amazing public speaker and an amazing character mm -hmm. and Linda's this absolute phenom who doesn't really say much and just the most amazing animal <laughs> animal yeah exactly yeah really is an, ama an amazing being a very kind mother yes um behind the doors but but really like ferocious mm -hmm. uh, I was so intimidated when I first went to one of their workshops in Antwerp it was probably 
2015, 2016 kind of time, mm-hmm. a long, a long time ago. I, had, I was practicing just kind of handstands and CrossFit. Mm-hmm. And I went there in these big arms in this little vest and my short shorts. <laughs> like, <laughs> what are the muscle ups going to start? And uh, <laughs> I think the first, we did like a zero form where everyone kind of did this almost Qigong um, routine. And then Joseph made us do this stance where we, plucked something from the ground with our right arm to the right at 90 degrees mm-hmm. and then we pushed something away with our left arm to the left and we stood in this horse stance for like 10 minutes yeah nice. without speaking and I, I was sweating and shaking <laughs> it was the worst experience but in the same time the whole experience was so amazing because it it was alive mm-hmm. and it was ever-changing we had this guy and um, one of joseph's old friends from the army there who couldn't speak a word of English and he communicated via action. Nice. And he was teaching us how to tie these random knots and we had to learn via different modalities, whether it was learning by observing, learning mm. by copying, learning by doing, learning by failing, all mm. these different areas of, of, of the being. Um, and then having these really engaging philosophical conversations as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I love it. Yeah, it's such an alive practice. That... And I love the the toys that they bring in, the elements, the belts, the ball. Like, there's just endless, endless variations. And you know, every time I dive back in, I I find something new. And I just, it was keystone to my recovery. And then again, like I, I was injured again, fourteenth um, of February, Valentine's Day. I was late for work, so I was rushing. I was on the bike, and the bike flipped. Well, I went over the handlebars, the bike flipped and went on, landed on me. And it was an electric off-road, like VTT, weighs a ton. And the thing hit me on my collarbone. And I knew mm-hmm. straight away it was broken because I remember the pain of broken bones. And uh, straight away, like, well, I had to have a month with the arm completely immobilized. And then after that, it was straight into zero forms it's like okay how do i how do i start bringing circles back in how do i start because the arm wouldn't lift like the pec was completely dead it felt like they had cut through so they cut the whole length of the along the whole length of the collarbone to put in this metal plate and six screws so they went through like nerves and muscle and fascia and everything after having that i was so happy that they hadn't operated with the pelvis breaks because the pain after surgery is another level compared to broken bone like it's savage such a trauma to the body so many new implements and sharp implements and blunt implements coming into yeah and and the the plate is too long so there's like this sharp end of the plate sticking Uh out under my skin which makes like when i do body body i did an fm workshop uh, in barcelona few months ago and it was okay like I could do the body body stuff as long as no one caught the the end of the plate wow. like if anyone catches wow. the end I'm going to punch you in the face because that's very yeah. <laughs> oh bless you so you're, you're literally a mutant right now I am a mutant right now but it's got to come out um okay. on the waiting list so I'll have another surgery to take it out so while like the nerve damage is ongoing the skin is still dead there's pain pretty much constant pain but it's like a, a hum it's just like there um I haven't been that focused to be honest on the rehab because of the move but also because I know they're going to cut again mm. so 
what's the point in putting in loads of work and trying to get the skin sensation back because they're going to cut again and I'll be back to square one in a way. Mm. I also made the mistake of looking on YouTube, the, the procedure for removing the plate. And they use the same tools that I built my house with <laughs> my two houses with like with there's a massive chisel and a mallet and they're like like going for it to get wow. the plate off because obviously the bone is like fused to the plate and um I'm not looking forward to that because no. after that will be okay here we go again I think sometimes research is great to make unknowns known I and didn't other times it. it's the worst thing to do ever <laughs> And for me, I'm, I'm shit scared of flying. So for me, researching like what planes can and can't do and what to expect mm. if something goes wrong, things like that, I think is really useful because it, it takes those unknowns out of the equation for me. Yes. But when it's coming to like your body, like blunt trauma literally going to happen imminently, it's probably, yeah. 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 No, bad. I was curious. Yeah, but I shouldn't have. What was your rehab process or the process of your recovery from the pelvis like? From the pelvis? So I started off in a, well, I was in the hospital, I was stuck in the hospital for 10 days um, because I kept blacking out every time I stood up. Um, and I think it was from the PTSD and the, 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 just the physical trauma, like I would just black out every time I was up and obviously the pain. Um, because what they do when you have a smashed, pelvis so it was a triple sp spiral fracture on the pubis and some fractures on the sacrum and so the pelvis had like twisted in on itself but because they decided not to operate thank god the bones just have to fuse in that position so I'm I'm kind of twisted and I always will be in whatever I managed to have a second pregnancy and natural birth so you know I'm I'm happy mm. um they get you on your feet like immediately, like the day after the accident, they were getting me up on my feet because you have to have the pressure to stimulate the bone growth. But the trouble with that was I kept blacking out. So I'd have to lay down again. And I eventually got home and I had a wheelchair and was encouraged to just be upright to stimulate the bones as much as possible. I remember because we had a little tatami corner in the flat we were living in. And I couldn't leave the flat because there were stairs and it was February, it was icy. So I was kind of stuck for a few months in this flat with a two-year-old and luckily mm -hmm. a very supportive partner and family who came over to France to help out. Um, and I would research basically. So my rehab, I couldn't see a physio immediately just because of availability because they're all fully booked. So I guided my own... I would look at the tatami corner and be like, okay, I want to get down on the tatami from the chair. And I would try and figure out ways to get down onto the floor. And I remember the first day I managed it, I was so happy. And I was like, shit, now I've got to get back up again. <laughs> and I found a lot of Marlo Fiskin's videos on YouTube. And so once I would get on the floor, I would just do whatever I could do with Marlo's videos. Um, another thing that happened was the adductors snapped or I don't know what happened but there was a snapping sensation and my adductors have never been the same since so it was kind of like Kill Bill when she's talking to her toe to try and get her toe to move remember that I would try and lift like adduct my leg and nothing would happen and so a lot of it was like talking to my left leg to try and get some kind of movement to happen and, and eventually it did but it took a lot of time 
And then I would, and then I got some physio. So I would be ambulanced to the physio in a stretcher, have a session and then home again. Uh, and then that's how I built a relationship with the physio where I ended up working eventually. Wow. So it was a lot of self-guided, really. I had all my Pilates equipment in the hospital bed immediately. Like I got my partner to bring in some weights so I could, you know, try and move something. Yeah. Um, the thing you have to bear in mind with injury like that is your body needs to sleep. Like you're just utterly exhausted and you can't fight it. You've just got to sleep. So there's a lot of napping. Mm. even with the collarbone it was the same um just your body needs to repair and i think sleep is probably the best yeah for sure how how was that educated your teaching right now i mean i can empathize on an, a whole other level i never i had never been injured before so i went through years and years of teaching dance and like theorizing about injury and i always said, oh, you should cross train, especially for dancers, you need to cross train or you're going to get injured. But I'd never been injured myself. So it was all like theoretical. Um, and yeah, no, it, it, working with patients, it's like, yeah, I know. No, I really know. <laughs> like, I really know. And I think I'm more able to offer. I think my language changed as well. I'm a lot more. I'm a lot more intelligent, I'd say, about the cueing that I use. I'm a lot more wary of other teachers queuings as well now. <laughs> so my daughter took a, a tryout dance class the other day and immediately, because I watched like the first 15 minutes, I was like, I really hope she doesn't sign up for this class because his queuing is, is not okay. And she hated it. So I was like, okay, good. <laughs> so I'm very wary of like other people's language as well. What was the issue with the queuing? It was just sort of sort of ridiculing. And and enforcing the negative, it's like, don't do this. And it, yeah, it was it was very negative. I would always say like, uh, I'm trying to think of an example. And of course, nothing's coming to me right now. I would never single anyone out either. He was singling kids out and kind of ridiculing them. And that's like a massive red flag. I would guide the whole group through queuing. So if I see someone doing something a little bit, I'm not, mm, I'll give the cue to the whole group. And then if it's still not working, then I'll go and, and correct the person or help the person individually. Um, I mean, it seems really obvious, but there's, I guess some people aren't reading the language of coaching yeah. books. I think also these practices have to be dynamic and they have mm -hmm. to be used as and when. Mm -hmm. And I feel like maybe a lot of teachers in, from my experience in, in dance, for example, are stuck in a certain way that they've learned and their teachers have learned and it's kind of like that in in the culture this is what we do mm -hmm. and then now we have this new culture of movement let's say which is a broad spectrum of all kinds of different people learning from all kinds of different cultures that are already present mm. which only kind of mixes together I think well maybe not but the best and the worst I think it's changing. Like being in Laban is very interesting. So I'm, there's, I'm surrounded by professional dancers of just the highest level. And it's really interesting to hear them talk about the language of, of coaching and, and, and the positive psychology. And there's a panorama on BBC right now about Elmhurst and the Royal Ballet School, which just the the negative, it was all, it, they basically messed up the lives of 
various young girls in that they had to lose weight, but the kind of language that they used, they were never directly saying you're fat, but that's what they meant. And mm -hmm. then these girls ended up with bulimia, anorexia and suicide. And it's very, really fucking dark, oh, but yeah. it's finally coming out because it was always unsaid. Um, to the point where I was always hoping that my, I'm still kind of hoping that my daughter doesn't go into the ballet world unless things change. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, think they are changing from what I'm seeing in, in university level and I know change takes time mm. in a especially on a cultural level I feel yeah. like uh, my experience of ballet the minimal practice of my that I've done myself but also what I've watched and, and been to performances for example I was really turned off mm. of the culture and, and, and what I saw and, and the Mm -hmm. what was happening everything felt so constrained mm. on so many levels mm -hmm. it was a real sad experience I found uh, yeah yeah and there's, there's there's an there's amazing potential and amazing quality there in, yeah on a on a very simple level let's say on, on, on a on a very uh simple is the wrong word obvious level mm -hmm. phenoms athletes amazing uh physical capabilities but really what I saw physically and emotionally was really, mm -hmm. I found quite depressing and dark. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I've heard from, from female friends that have been involved in ballet and, and other types of dance um, over the last 20 years, how many negative influences they've had from past teachers that have said, yeah. in a roundabout way, you're too big, you're not the perfect yeah. shape that we want. Mm -hmm. and therefore, you're not going to make it and how that's affected them for the rest of their 20s yep. teens 20s into the 30s it's, it's I did ballet when I was seven or eight I, I think my my daughter's age I think I did it for a year did a show and the teacher I think I missed a cue in the show I was supposed to be a bridge and I missed the cue I was late so there was half a bridge for a bit and then I've ca I caught the cue and everyone could go through the bridge and she screamed at me in intermission she was livid and I was terrified and I quit. And I think she she told me I, I would never be a dancer and that I made the room look untidy. And she she had issues, <laughs> say. But then that was it. I didn't do dance. I didn't find dance again until I was a hod carrier, like in my early 20s. Yeah. You know, it's so it's so powerful. And I'm so careful about what classes my daughter does. And it kind of wraps around back to what we were talking about in the beginning, like rewards and when do we push and and do we cotton wool them or it's like finding, no, I don't want to surround her in cotton wool. I want to prepare her for life, but I don't want her to be put off by dance because of someone who's had a difficult childhood themselves or, you know, got mm -hmm. issues and, and wants to punish small children and shouldn't be allowed anywhere near children. You know, so it's like balancing. Yeah, for sure. I, I really feel like I had a great childhood. I was very lucky. I was really active and, and I, I had a lot of experience in, in various sports, but mainly in football, really, which mm. I'm sad about, actually, because the culture is really lacking and it didn't give me the diversification that I, I really yearned for. Mm -hmm. I didn't have really good role models. The role models were quite poor in, in that culture, actually. Yeah. But my family were not so pushy. They were like, yeah, whatever you want to do, no worries, we'll support it. But yeah, you have to push that. Yeah. And as children, I think it's quite hard to push in a direction 
because it's an unknown. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you want. You have mm-hmm. to experience. And it's that broad range of experiences that, that then gives you that drive to go, oh, that was the thing that I liked. That's it, yeah. Yeah. And I think Delphine as well. She she's done ice skating, she's done parkour, she's done uh dance, and now she's doing gymnastics. So she's having like a taste of everything. And then maybe she'll decide she doesn't want to do any of those things. But um But at least she had the taste. I think that's really the key going back to our previous conversation on um competition. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important for young children or a- anyone at any time really to gain as much varied experience as possible in order to make educated decisions on what areas that they're, they're, they're interested in not yeah. what they're good at necessarily but what they're interested in what feels good what mm. what gives a sense of joy or, or meaning or, or fun mm. um, and actually not to have that in the sense of comparative uh, competition with other people just as in, in the sense of go and try uh, mm basketball netball go and try swimming go and try athletics go and try what a movement class and then get all these interesting inputs and experiences and then you can start to go oh you know what that was really cool i'm going to push pursue that a bit more go climb and mm-hmm. um, rather than kind of just go default to the, the thing that's done yeah football yeah and not know what else is out there yeah. It's only since I got into my 20s that I self-drove my experiences that I realized how much was out there and how amazing these things could be. Mm. And I had that kind of like retrospective sadness of my childhood that, oh, I had an amazing time, but I wish I would have got into climbing or parkour or, or X, Y, and Z at, at that age. Yeah. But, you know, you might have got burnt out or something. You mm. never know. Like it's, like I'm finding like in my 40s, I'm where you are at in your 20s. Like I feel like I'm only just discovering all, all the possibilities and things that I thought were closed off to me or things that I just didn't have the guts to to try. Um, now in my 40s, I guess when you hit your 40s, you don't really care anymore, maybe. <laughs> um, and maybe all the injuries that I've experienced and the rehab and everything has given me, I don't, I don't know just the courage to put myself in uncomfortable positions whereas maybe I wouldn't have I would have been more cautious before and would have stuck to my lane a bit more and been more comfortable I definitely learned a lot about embracing discomfort through living through the injuries so in a way like even though injuries suck and they're savage and you you have all this therapy and counseling and everything to go through uh, for me, they they have been a gift, and it sounds really cheesy to say that, but they really have because they completely changed my direction mm. in life and enabled me to help people in a way that I never would have thought of or dreamt of. Mm. I never would have thought about working in in rehab. Um, I was just doing shows, and I was kind of just following the the scene. Really, I didn't really have direction. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Um, so it definitely gave me this direction and drive that is driving me now to bring myself into a master's degree like it's a really interesting point I want to I want to push a bit deeper so mm-hmm. you feel like the discomfort that you went through in the injuries now really helps you just to kind of throw caution into the wind and be like you know what yeah. okay doesn't matter mm-hmm. if I fail mm-hmm. 
I went through a lot of like, I went through phases of feeling like a victim. There was a lot of depression. I really, you know, I'm just going to give up. What's the point? I'm never going to get back to the stage. Um, but just worked through it. And in working through it, you you strengthen in ways that mentally as well as physically. And and having kids as well, you want to be, you want to be a good. I don't know you want to show the best you can show for your kids because if you just give up and go into depression then what kind of example is that setting for them um you know now now that we're in London Saturdays we go to the place me and my eldest she takes creative contemporary and I throw myself into a level three contemporary class that I should not be in because I've never studied contemporary um and I'm definitely not level three <laughs> but I'm he's up for letting me flail at the back and I will just flail like I do when I'm doing Linda's coordinations and yeah you may feel stupid and frustrated but there's those glimpses of when you get it and you're like yeah and mm. and that feels really good and that's like that plasticity thing that that I see with the patients that I work with as well and they feel really pleased with themselves and they see positive change and it transfers to everyday life as well and one woman I work with who had Parkinson's um she came in all stooped and we had a few sessions and they, we just worked on like lengthening her axis and just feeling her skull and her ribcage and her pelvis on axis for the first time in years. And the crossover to like family disputes that had been going for years and she had never really said anything because she, she didn't have the confidence and she was stooping physically and mentally. She like told people where to go. It was like, no, stand my ground. She could feel her feet. Like it just it translates across to everyday life as well. Maybe being a slightly better parent, maybe, you know. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I really see that postures relate emotions and, and vice versa. Emotions relate postures so interestingly. Mm -hmm. um, that's so special. Mm -hmm. Do you, I think it's, it's quite tricky though, mm -hmm. because to tell someone, Hey, if you improve your posture, you're going to have a better relationship with your partner. Or if you never say that, I would never say no. that. I would no. never. Say that. What's your process of working with someone on that level? On on that level where you can maybe see or intuit that hey, th this improvement could really benefit your life. How, how do you bring that out of them without selling them, uh, for want of another word, a golden cage? I think it, it, I mean, it depends on the individual and I think it really depends on working with the individual and then working in a way that they feel comfortable with you and sharing stories with you. And then you find out a little bit more about them. And then that kind of guides what movements or where I would focus as well. So I never knew that she would come back saying, oh, I feel this posture has let me say this to my partner where I haven't said it. I didn't know anything about that. That was feedback that came like later. Wow. But so for me, it's more like a, let's just try this structurally. Let's maybe change this. I would never use the word dance and I would never use, this is going to fix this because I can't know that. I can just explore and say, if you're, they know I'm a dancer coming in. They know I'm not a physio. Um, so they're already a bit like, what the fuck is this? Like some of them are very cynical, like ex-rugby playing guy with a brain tumor or stroke or whatever. But they're they've they're frustrated with the healthcare that they've had. So they're up for trying anything by the time I'm a last resort. <laughs> so by the time they've come to me, they're up for it. Yeah. 
and we try and it works and then I can do more with them and go more into the games and the coordinations and the balance and blah, 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 because I've got that buy-in through listening to them and where they're at and where their frustrations are. The trouble with that is it's not a fixed protocol. that I could tell you what it is and sell it to you because it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Do you, do you have a, a process or like an idea uh, as to how you break people down? How do you generate buy-in? Uh, we just start moving together. I always move with them. So mm. I worked in a physio clinic and it was open plan with machines. And so the physios would be where I was working and I would see them sitting in front of the patient and what, you know, the patient is doing something with a weight or doing something on a machine. The physio just sat there talking like nice, but I never did that. I always moved with them. Mm. Um, partly because I'm selfish and I want to move too. <laughs> But partly because that that was a big key to buy in. So it's like, okay, we're going to do this and you can follow this because they've never danced before. And, and if I use the word dance, they would run a mile anyway. So I'd say this is a coordination or this is a balance exercise, even though it's, it's come directly from dance, but mm -hmm. I'm not going to call it that. And just starting moving, starting with feet rooting zero forms as a way in and then seeing what we find from there. It's like, oh, okay, balance is a bit off maybe on this side. How about we try this? um even something as simple as arm swinging for someone who's had a stroke there'll be a delay so one hand will be coming higher than the other maybe and then giving them that to take away to take home and to practice the swings until we start seeing a unifying across right and left and then when they see that start to happen they're like uh -huh, okay there's something in this hmm. or bringing sensation back into the feet a lot of them have they've lost sensation in their feet or a foot and they've never been asked to take their shoes off in a session. It's like, okay, so you have nerve endings in your skin and your feet. How about we try taking your shoes off and use the wooden sticks to like wake up the feet and, and they can feel it. And that's where the buy-in is. Yeah. Do you also use games? Yeah. 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 Like actual game, like board games. I've brought board games into the clinic. <laughs> And we'll like do a move and then move around the space and then come back and do a move. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots right. of games, lots of FM, practice ball, belt, um, moving the wooden blocks around, trying to avoid the blocks, a little bit of body, body, but it depends who they are and what they've got going on. Yeah. How hmm. do you balance, let's say, structured work compared to open form work i think the structure comes in the in the zero forms that's something that they recognize it's like okay we're going to do some feet rooting some spinal pull spinal pump so there's there's that part that's familiar it always changes because there's so many variations but as a as a general structure that's like a nice way okay we begin with this and then we all arrive it could even just be standing or branching or the, the tamp in that you were talking about earlier with the arm position um, and then from there we'll go into a coordination or a game or so that is about as structured as I get it's like here's some zero forms and then we're going to play mm. and yeah I mean it depends on the individual as well but I I don't send them home with sets and reps of anything I'll send them like put on your favorite song we use music in every session um, which is something that other physios didn't do at all there was no music I couldn't believe it 
to the point where other patients would comment that they've missed me since I left because there's no good music in the, in the <laughs> clinic anymore because I would just whack the sounds up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the vibe is so important for buying as well. Yeah. Yeah. I would ask them what their favorite music was and I would make playlists for them. Nice. And so we would move to their music, even if it wasn't my thing. <laughs> uh, especially with Parkinson's, having a metronome is really important. Um, so yeah, music, maybe I would send them home with put on the playlist or just choose one song and explore this game for the duration of the song. Um, but in terms of sets and reps, like if they want that kind of training, I would refer them to somebody else who trains that way because I don't. <laughs> what is your personal practice like right now? Um, I'm not going to lie. It's kind of sporadic and messy. Uh, but that I just have to be okay with that because we've just moved house and apparently that's the second or third most stressful thing in someone's life or something. If you Google it, it's like moving houses right up there. And a lot having of two kids is up there, I'm sure. <laughs> probably having children is up there as well. So yeah, there's structuring. If I'm on my own with the kids, do I stay up really late and practice really late and then be too tired? Do I get up extra early and practice extra early? Sometimes. Um, I was really good for a phase of getting up at like five and going outside onto the balcony and just doing some zero forms to start the day or just standing. Training wise, it had to kind of take a backseat. But today I finally got in the strength and conditioning class at Laban. So like as the dust settles, I'm going to find my rhythm again with, because they have free classes going on there that I will try and make the most of. So some hit classes, strength and conditioning and dance classes would be nice also, mm. you know? Yeah. I think it's so valuable to have uh, low hanging fruits when you're so mm. busy, just like structure, routine, accessibility, something local, something where you already are. Yes. It has it's hard to say no. Because yeah. if it's something that I plan and it doesn't happen, then I'm just going to get frustrated. So I've given up on, I've had to let go of the planning and just kind of go with the flow for the, for the moment um especially if kids get sick which is happening a lot because we've just moved here and london bugs are rife so like it feels like every other day there's another virus to contend with yeah. the the be one of the biggest lessons i got from yosef because i've done two years of mentorship with him now was because i was trying to train and i just had a newborn baby and i had my daughter as well with me and i was on my own and i was trying to practice at the same time and he was like what are you doing like if you're looking after your kids you're looking after your kids and if someone else is looking after your kids then you're training and my first reaction was fuck off like i want to train and then i thought about it and i was like he's right because mm. if i'm trying to do it all i'm going to burn the dinner someone's going to have an accident and i'm not focused on my training anyway so um i think as mothers especially we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to do all the things and actually that just burns us out. And so it's how much energy surplus do you have to focus on yourself? Maybe not very much, you know. So it's when the childcare kicks in or the, the, the network of people you have around you to help you with the kids, they have the kids and that's your practice time. But for me now, that's my reading and research and writing time. <laughs> so finding like the balance for movement is gonna be even more challenging than previously. Yeah. I think communities help a lot as well. I think one one thing that I've 
always found really helpful for me is to have other people mm-hmm. whether it's for accountability or just simply like a social contact absolutely like, rather than going for a coffee or hanging out for mm-hmm. a beer mm-hmm. let's go climb or let's go do something physically active that really pushes everyone towards that physical activity that's yeah so useful um and I think now you've moved just down the road yeah now some social contact with me and we've got a few friends around which is very nice um I think one of the amazing things but the worst things about fighting monkey practice for example and and these kind of dynamic uh decontextualized modalities let's say Mm -hmm. there is no culture surrounding them there is no easily accessible oh yeah let's go play football there's a pitch down there oh let's go play tennis there's a court over there Mm. those are very easy cultural pulls Mm -hmm. whereas something like let's take a practice ball and go play in the park yeah it's not such a well set out Mm. culture right now which Mm. means you have to then put extra effort to Mm. push people there organize it get the time organize what the hell you're going to do and why you're going to do it and yeah 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 yeah. i agree yeah there are enough people now i think to make that happen <laughs> fingers crossed fingers i love crossed. spending most of my days in the park with the kids <laughs> like after school yeah. um, we'd have to get someone to look after the kids obviously and <laughs> yeah. but then even that like you can take it in terms like tag tag team okay you look after the kids for a bit we're going to go and play and then the kids are probably going to get involved as well anyway, which is awesome because mm. you always learn things when the kids join in. Um, I think it's just a question of the planning. So you plan it, you schedule it, and then and then we do it. Then you do it, yeah. I would like to go back a bit um, yeah. just on the topic of, of, of this series and something that we've dabbled with with a few people and, and something that's quite close to my heart with with my struggles is is mental health and mm. you said for a while post-injury you, you had some some periods or some struggles yeah yeah uh I wondered if you wanted to share anything on that and maybe the processes or the the ways in which you helped yourself I well luckily when I had the first accident, I had already had a counsellor who I had been having sessions with on and off for a few years. So she was someone who knew me really well. But she also happened to be someone who worked with soldiers and policemen and women with PTSD. And so she was able to guide me down therapeutic avenues that were linked towards um, being trapped because I was like physically pinned under the the wall unit and couldn't get out and that's a typical that's a specific kind of trauma apparently which I had no idea about and so she was able to give me exercises and some like polyvagal and um, different imagery sound um, sessions to try and work through the nightmares the flashbacks and all that which did work I've still got some residual PTSD and that if my child or one of my children hurts themselves and there's like blood, I will have like a physical, I'm going to vomit sensation. I never had that in my life before. I was never squeamish. Um, Or if they fall, I will like overreact. Or if I'm driving and someone cuts me up, there's like an overreaction Mm. uh, on the bike as well. Like I'm jittery in, in a way I never was before. So there's still residue there that I probably should still be 
working on, uh, but they do have therapy sessions at Laban, which I'm going to sign up for. So I will probably go back into some counseling on that. Also, because the PTSD can affect learning and like memory, um, which I think might be a thing. So I'm going to work in, into that as well. So yeah, I would recommend get counseling if you're working through injury, because it's not just the physical, it's definitely the mental, you've got the financial uh, worries if you can't work and you're independent, self-employed, like there's so many different factors surrounding yeah. being injured. It's not just the physical rehab. So much. Yeah, I, I really feel for me, uh, kind of the same as what we said before, low-hanging fruits can be really useful. Mm -hmm. um, when I was going through like negative mental health, let's say, and, and I was on this downward spiral, it, anything felt like such a big step and, and mm. <laughs> such a high hanging fruit you could say mm -hmm. um i really feel like tools that we can use in our day-to-day -day lives to help us in those small moments when we notice for example <gasps> i got stressed and jittery because someone cut me up in the car or mm -hmm. I, I cycle a lot so for me it's maybe sometimes i'm, I'm gripping the handlebars quite tight and my jaws a bit clenched yeah, yeah yeah taking an awareness into that and and, and maybe as you work with your clients posture um making things as easy and as light as possible really helps me in exhalations getting getting into that parasympathetic exhaling sighing doing those i, I guess animalistic type things that really help those small moments and shaking it, as well did you do the shaking that the tre yeah. therapy yeah. i did some of that as well that yeah. really there's there's a lot in that because when i was stuck under the wall i my body went into shock and i started shaking and when I've been in like sort of surgical situations, like minor surgery, um, the shaking would come back or yeah. When the collarbone thing happened and I woke up from the general anesthetic, the shaking like all over and they'd be like, are you cold? And be like, no, I'm not cold. My body's doing this thing. Yeah. And it's what animals do when they've been chased and yeah. And escaped yeah. and everything shakes. It's what my lurcher used to do after she'd been chasing deer as well. It's like the, the muscles just have to, release that and we culturally it's like not normal and not okay to shake so we don't go mm -hmm. there and that's something that happens a lot to me when I do standing practice especially when I do the hour towards the end of the hour around 45 minutes the, this shaking will start happening in the legs and I'll just I used to try and stop it but now I just let it let yeah. it go because something is trying to work its way out so that's one tool maybe shaking amazing amazing tool softening in general any type of, of swinging mm -hmm. softening ease of of, of letting love coordinations the yeah. coordination for me is just letting go it's all yeah. letting go and and the patients i work with they're all so tight and they're bracing and a lot of the language around is like around bracing and holding and crispy in french and it's like you have to decrisp <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah exactly that that's, that's a lovely visualization i think as well yeah Something, I, I literally got back as you know last night uh, from sicily after teaching for a week uh, yeah. on a climbing climbing a movement retreat the climbing is amazing because it's such a deep subjective practice there's so much on an emotional level for each individual that's very real and you go through a whole range of emotion um really trying hard and really uh, in a way you feel almost very crispy it's a great way of saying it you, you, everything's on the arm is on the, the muscles are on yeah the facial expressions are on the, the hands are all chalked up and your forearms are all pumped and everything's very kind of internally rotated or driven 
Mm. And my role in, in the retreat is very much to kind of bring people back to themselves and bring people back to the zero point. And nice. we do a lot of shaking and partner work and, and, and just kind of, <laughs> yeah, decrisping everyone, which is, yeah. is so lovely. It's so great. Um, and another tool is the minus 20%. So do mm. everything 20% slower, which from the outside, no one would notice. So it's not like you suddenly start moving in slow motion like you're on the moon, but it's just inside you for me the minus 20 percent just on any simple action that you're doing or i'm trying to do it while i'm talking to you now but you wouldn't notice from the outside but for me it's like a dropping in and that's the first time i understood what people meant when they talked about mindfulness yeah. i never got it before yeah. and then as soon as i started minus 20 percent, it's like oh yeah okay this is what this is what they're on about mm. yeah it, it speaks very much to me i've i've actually got somewhat of a stutter so for mm. me, the, the minus 20% was super useful. I didn't gain that insight until I went to Germany. I was living in Germany for a year. Uh -huh. and once I learned German and had this more robotic cadence to my speaking, that was when I started to realize, ah, oh, I don't stutter that much anymore. I can really kind of yeah. use breathing and relaxation and ease with that kind of minus 20% to speak mm. somewhat normally. Yeah. Before I'd try and muddle all my words together and they'd get all jumbled up and I couldn't separate things from mm. one another. Um, so yeah, I think that's an amazing tool as well. Mm. Also, just going back to that breathing, the cadence of, of doing one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of time, I'm fully aware that your kids finish school in 10 minutes. <laughs> Run duty. Yeah. Sam, thank you so much for today. It was really engaging. I really enjoyed Pleasure. that. Um, We'll definitely hang out soon. Yeah, Is man. There anything you'd like to share to finish the conversation? Mm, not really. I mean, if you want to find me, uh, it's Samantha Emmanuel23 on Instagram. I'm a lot less active than I have been, <laughs> just because of the move and um, all the things. And then we'll see how I go with my studies. But I am still teaching online, so I'm I'm still doing mentorship online. Um, so if people want to have like, want to reach out with questions about that, they can. Um, currently, have students from the states, Canada, and Egypt, which is a nice mix. And uh, yeah, that's where to find me probably, and maybe my website samanthaemanuel.com. But I haven't updated that for quite a while. So it's great. I was looking at that and doing a bit of research, and there's some <laughs> amazing clips on there of the belly dancing. There's yeah. some newspaper articles which are super interesting. <laughs> Definitely worth checking out. Yeah. And I think in the new year, like around January, I'll start teaching in London. But for now, I'm just trying to focus on the masters and get myself set up with all that and then I'll be I'll be out and about more in London coaching one-to-one -one and small groups lovely hmm. Thanks, you thank you so much mate cheers dude and there we have it yet another episode in the back I am currently laying under a blanket trying to get the best sound I could possibly get for you so please consider listening on if you didn't know already we have a patreon Join now for the price of a coffee and gain creative insights, bonus content, interviews, and the chance to ask questions to our upcoming guests. If you're new here, here's a little bit more about the concept of our podcast. Have you ever heard of the metaphor of the five blind folk and the elephant? 
It's the inspiration and idea that drives this podcast. And it goes something like this. There are five blind folk walking through the jungle. They stumble upon an obstacle. The first one steps forward, touches its leg, and goes, hmm, feels like a giant tree. The next one steps up, feels the trunk, and goes, hmm, no, I think it's a giant snake. They each have a turn trying to feel what the hell this obstacle is. And it's only when they put all five together, they understand that it's actually an elephant in their way. These differing perspectives and then this overarching clarity is the inspiration that we love and feel is important to get through with this podcast. In this way, the blind folk are our guests, each with their own perspectives and ideas. The elephant is our series topic that we explore from these perspectives to gain a greater insight. If this is your first episode, why not check out the others in this series to gain a greater understanding of this topic? Or check out the previous series where we explored the concept of movement culture and training. As always, it really helps us if you like and share this with your friends and family. We're a self-funded project, just trying to open up interesting conversations with interesting individuals for you guys to listen to. Thank you and keep figuring things out.